God, as we um, open our hearts, our minds, our souls, we pray that you would um, give us a fresh word this morning, that you would teach us what we need to learn, that it would not be in vain that we gather together and that we open up scripture. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have ever experienced something that is truly good or even great, right? If you have ever eaten a food that is so delicious, seen a movie that was so impactful, watched a television show that made you laugh until your sides hurt, um, visited restaurants that you had only seen on TV, or gone somewhere that when you left that place or even in the midst of it, you thought to yourself, this is truly amazing, If you have ever experienced any of those things, our natural reaction is to do what? To take pictures, I guess, but (laughs) to share it with people, right? If you have experienced something that is truly amazing, you don't want to keep it in, you don't want to keep it to yourself, you want to share it with usually the people who are closest to you, the people that are your friends. I suppose nowadays it's also available to all of your hundreds of Facebook friends and Twitter and Instagram and all of the other social media things. But that's what we do as humans. We are natural evangelists when it comes to the things that we truly value, love, and enjoy. So I have a picture that I want to show you. Um, so this is from, by now I think we all understand that when I say social media, it's, it's like Facebook, um, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, all of those things, right? Are we kind of on the same page with that? Even if you don't have an account, you know that it has something to do with sharing like every single detail of your life if you want to. So here's, here's a thing for fun. Remember before social media when you had to take a picture of your food, develop it, then go to your friends' homes to show it to them? Me neither. <laughs> Some of you have taken pictures of your food. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's funny because I'm like, I'm not there. I can't taste if it's good. But it's, it's what we do, right? People, my friends, I, I may or may not have done it. I have to go back and look. I don't think I have. But you, you go to a restaurant, a special place, and you look at the, at the food that's in front of you, and we are compelled to share that with other people. And this is just kind of poking fun at the fact, like, we never did that before. Why do we do it now? It's because we're natural evangelists. If we experience something that is good and beautiful and amazing, we want to share it with the entire world because that's how we are made. So the question I want to pose to you is, what if it were the same with Jesus? What if our relationship with Jesus was so amazing, truly profound, transformational, and life-changing, wouldn't we want to share that with others as well? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Nah, we don't want to be those annoying Christian people. Oh, I think I have a picture of this. I don't want to be those annoying Christian. It just happens to fit in at the Angel Stadium, right? I don't want to be one of those annoying people that has these signs that says Christ will return to judge. So the Bible does have that verse in it, but there's stuff before it and there's stuff after it that helps give us its context. But we see this all the time. I went to a concert one time as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, all right, full-time pastor, trying to do everything I can to serve the Lord. And I was getting preached at by people telling me that, well, me and hundreds of other people, 
that if we don't turn, we will burn. That if I don't repent, that I will spend eternity in a flaming furnace. That doesn't work. And so what, we ha- what happens to us as Christians, it's, it's we don't want to be like those people, so we're just going to keep quiet about our faith. And I understand, we don't want to be those annoying people that go to people in coffee shops and say, if Jesus came today, where would you spend eternity? I, I can't do that. I have a problem being that forward. But what if there was some way that we could grab or, or, or compile our experience with Jesus and the relationship we have and then share that with someone else because we believe that it will change their lives. Paul, in, in Romans chapter 1, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Footnote, I'm not telling you to stand outside with signs. <laughs> Please. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone that has faith. It is the power, the power of God. So what if there was a way that maybe you're not an extrovert or maybe you're not naturally inclined to go and tell people and maybe you don't want to hand out these little tracts that we sometimes give because those oftentimes end up on the floor somewhere. Well, we have a way for you to do that. How many of you have friends and family who you wish would know the message of Jesus? And by message of Jesus, I mean that Jesus is a God of love, of grace, of forgiveness, and what he created us for is oftentimes better than what people are living and experiencing. The message that Jesus forgives you no matter where you've been or what you've done, that Jesus allows you to lay down your past and say, I will not be defined by that, but rather we are shaped and formed by the presence of Christ in our lives daily. That no matter what is going on around you, that the peace and joy and comfort of Christ is with you. That message of Jesus. Next Saturday, um, on October 5, we are having what we've come to call the Harvest Sabbath. Um, obviously, in an, we're not in an agricultural society anymore, so it's kind of lost some of its, its meaning. But next Sabbath, our entire worship experience will be formed and shaped from the words we use on the platform, to everything. So we, we put up those annual signs that say entrance to the church, because really, how do we get to the front of the church if you park in the parking lot? Um, and everything will be geared towards trying to introduce or share the message of who Jesus is with your friends and family. You don't have to do it. I will do the best that I can um, to, to present the message of Jesus. And so what we're asking is for you, to bring someone to church next Saturday and just say, look, I'm going to keep bugging you until you come, so you might as well come this week. Um, And hopefully we believe that the Holy Spirit works on the people who are ready. And on those who may not be ready to give their life to Jesus, then we know that all we are doing is just keep, we're just planting seeds and we're just watering the seeds that people before us have planted. So to go deeper and further into this message, I want to look at a story in the book of Acts. And this is what it says. One day Peter, and this is all connected, by the way. It wasn't just a a commercial. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. So there were set times of prayer. We, We see this sometimes in some faith traditions where you pray the morning prayers, the afternoon prayers, the evening prayers. Some traditions have up to five prayers. So there was this set times of prayer in the first century. So Peter and John are going to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon. 
Now, a lame man from birth was being carried in, right? So we get this visual of this man who can't walk being carried in. Already very demeaning, right? I, we, I would like to believe that I could get myself everywhere I need to go, but if I have to be carried by someone, then it will make me feel less human. It'll almost diminish my value as an individual if I'm constantly relying on somebody to move me. So this is the picture we have of this man. Um, people would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called Beautiful, the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. So let me just, this is like our modern day, sometimes people who, if you've ever gone to Mexico and you're coming back, one of the things you'll see is that there are people who are lame and crippled. They often, or sometimes they don't have legs, sometimes they have one leg or no legs or whatever it is, right? There's all sorts of of um, bad things that have happened to these people. And so they're there because they can't really work. There's not very much they can do because they're, they don't have all of their limbs or able to do things. And so they ask for alms, for generosity, for kindness. In the first century, what we find is that this man is, he's crippled, so he can't work. He can't make a living. Generally in the first century, if you had these, you know, if he was crippled, the people would instantly say either he sinned and God is punishing him or his parents, or his parents' parents, or someone along the line of his bloodline, somebody sinned, and now he is going, now he is paying for it. So what do you do in the first century when someone is blatantly sinful? What do you do? You go and hang out with them? No, in the first century, you would stay as far away as possible, because you don't want to be associated with them. So this man is demeaned, he is dehumanized. He is left to all he can do is just beg for people's pity and just ask for alms outside the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And now I'm going to quote from the King James Version. But Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. We, we live in a world of unbelief and disbelief. We live in a world where the name of Jesus is, is the subject of punchlines for jokes. We live in a world where, where Jesus isn't the Jesus of the Bible, but just another common name. We live in a world where we have robbed the power from who Jesus is. And it is this Jesus who has the power to do all things. To say that there is power in the name of Jesus is that Jesus is the one in whom all things are held together. There is power, power, power in the name of Jesus. And too many times we neglect the fact that we live, that we believe in a supernatural God. God is not like us. God is better, infinite, omnipotent, omniscient, all of those other theological terms. 
Yet we live in a world where we have consigned God to a box and we have asked him to stay silent and we will tell God what he should know. And we will tell God when he should act. And we should tell God when it's okay for him to be God. But until that happens, we need God to stay quietly in a corner. Now, I know you might be saying, no, no, pastor, that's not true. But it is. Because we live in a world where there are so many other attractive options that we will often go to find life and happiness and power in something else rather than in Jesus. So there's power in the name of Jesus. For in the name of Jesus, the dead are raised. The lame can walk. The blind can see. Demons are casted out. The broken are mended. The empty are filled. You are saved and forgiven of even the worst of your sins. There is power in the name of Jesus because it is in Jesus that all things are held together. So when the disciples say, silver and gold, have I none? But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. I want you to know that all you need is Jesus. And it may not feel that way because this world will tell us that we need everything else. But it's a lie. This week, um, just to fill you in on what's been happening, I, two weeks ago rather, I started um, what's called clinical pastoral education. What that simply means is that I go to St. Joseph Hospital in Orange off the 22 freeway, and on Mondays I sit in class for eight hours listening, <laughs> um, listening to how to be better listeners, caregivers, um, how to get how to make people feel i guess better so it's clinical chaplaincy and it's it's what i need in order to be ordained and so it's a requirement so i have to do it and then i will spend 25 hours a week actually visiting with patients and listening to their stories now i'm in the part of the hospital where it's the general surgery ward so um it's cool but these are you know you walk in and you're like you can't they told us you can't ask them how they are doing because they're here so you can ask them, how is your day going? And even that kind of fails really badly. So you have to find ways to just be present. So in the midst of this, um, that, that part doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but in the midst of this, there are six of us in this class. Um, there's a Presbyterian, there's a disciple of Christ right next door, there are two Seventh-day Adventists, and there is a Catholic priest and a Lutheran pastor. So I start talking to this Catholic priest and I just, you know, we, all of us have all sorts of questions for him. And, um, and he starts talking to us, and he says, I've joined, um, I've joined uh, an order, right? Like, a, you know, I guess within the Catholic Church there are orders, and if you're a priest or a nun, you can join these, and it's kind of like your community. So he says, well, obviously you guys know I've taken a, a vow of celibacy. And we're like, okay, we know that. Tons of questions about that. It's talking to him more, and I don't know how the conversation got to this, but I said, but he said, I've also taken a vow of poverty, which means that he can't own anything, nothing in his name. I said, so, I was like, so even if someone gives you money, you can't buy a car in your own name. And he's like, no, this is the vow that I have taken um, to show my allegiance and my surrender to Christ. Now, all things aside, I could never do that. And yet for him, Jesus is enough. Jesus is all he needs. Because there is power in the name 
of Jesus. And he took him by the right hand, another cultural symbolic way of saying, you are my equal, I I am not going to diminish you anymore. So he reaches out his right hand, he raises him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them. So remember, up to that point, he couldn't really enter the temple. He, He wasn't good enough to enter the temple. He didn't have everything together enough to enter the temple, so he had to stay outside. But once he was healed, he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's Portico, utterly astonished. Is there power in the name of Jesus? Wouldn't you want to have the power that comes with the name of Jesus? The only way you can do that is if you forsake all the other things that promise to give you power and life and happiness in this world. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of material possessions. There's no amount of anything in this world that will compare to Jesus. And what Jesus gives are blessing upon blessing, even in the midst of darkness and suffering. So the story kind of takes a conclusion where it says, and by faith, referring to this man, it says, and by faith in his name, Jesus' name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the disciples are talking to all of the people who are utterly astonished. And he says, and the faith that is through Jesus has given him his perfect health in the presence of all of you. This was about so much more than just the man being able to walk. This was about God's presence and God's power and his mighty hand reaching out into human history and doing something that makes a difference. It's about restoring when you are broken. This is from where I get the saying that I always say, where I ask for God to fill us where we are empty and mend us where we are broken. It's that there is power in the name of Jesus to fix even the most or the worst of situations. David writes in Psalm 34, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy or blessed are those who take refuge in him. Some of you may be sitting here and thinking to yourself, well, I I don't even know what that looks like. I've been coming to church my whole life, and I know all of the theological um, teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I know everything I'm supposed to, but a relationship with Jesus, I don't have that. Well, that's what we're here for. That's what the elders are here for. That's what I am here for. And next Saturday, we are going to have an invitation for all of you, in a sense, to recommit your life to Jesus, but also for your friends and family to perhaps give Jesus a chance, because we believe that when we do, God does not disappoint us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There is power in the name of Jesus. So as we kind of begin to summarize or kind of bring this to a close, there is... um, there is, um, there, there's other ways that we are not ashamed of the gospel. And one of the ways that we have done this um, is we have taken the name of Jesus, and, and in some ways Jesus asks us as a church to empower his name to other people. So I want to read to you something, and um, it has to do with Megan's kids, with the project that we did 
um, where we all contributed either financially or supplies. And this is what she says. Dear Orange SDA, words cannot express my absolute awe at what an amazing God-filled group of people that you are. I can honestly say that I was moved to tears when I received the package of supplies for my students. You as a church family donated over 250 glue sticks, 107 packs of crayons, 25 pencil boxes, 22 packs of colored pencils, 21 packs of markers, four huge sanitizer pumps, 10 individual hand sanitizer pumps, 10 individual toothbrush packs, and 15 backpacks, in addition to an incredible financial donation. My students have all the materials they will need to last them the rest of the year and now have the means to go on several field trips for the first time in their life. Is there power in the name of Jesus? We did this in the name of Jesus. Orange SDA may be small in numbers, but you have more compassion and love than I can fathom. My students have been so blessed by your generosity. Each student now has, listen to this, now has their very own backpack and host of supplies. For the vast majority of my students, this is the first time they have been able to have their own things. Your gifts are so precious to them. They take such good care of things and are so excited to have a set of materials of their own. Their eyes still light up when they get to use the materials. We are able to do so much now that these, with these incredible supplies. We just finished learning about patterns, and my students were able to do some incredible projects using these materials. My students wanted to thank you for your gift, and they have made a thank you card that will be coming soon. See, we're really good at extending the name of Jesus and showing the power of Jesus. And all we're trying to do is to do that in word as well as deed. Silver and gold have we none. But what we have, we give in the name of Jesus. This is a witness to what God is doing here. And we can only go forward from here. In two weeks, I'll actually be able to visit that classroom where we can see these kids, where I can see these kids, and I'll take pictures just for an hour or so. The world is changed by people who are compassionate and who want to share the goodness of Christ. And so we ask you that you invite your friends and family so that we can share the same message so that they will never be the same. Then a couple other places in Scripture, and I'm wrapping up now. I'm just, it's not on the screen, so just listen. It says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son if you ask anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. He says, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Your joy may be full. If you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. Is there power in the name of Jesus? Is there? This morning, I, wanna, I hope that through Scripture, we have been left with an, a sense of awe, with a sense of we want that power, and it is available for you today. So will you pray with me? God, we, um, there are so many times in Scripture, God, where we read your words, and we want to believe that it's still true for us today. But then there's all sorts of other things that get in the way of that. So for my brothers and my sisters who are here this morning, 
I pray that you would show them that there is power in your name and that all we must do is call on your name. May we not only call on your name when we are in need, but may we call on your name when there is praise. And may we learn to invoke your name as we extend our hands to those who are in need. We pray all this, Lord, with confidence knowing that you will not disappoint us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.